All right, folks, what's up? It's another edition of the Live Life Aggressive Show. Sincere Hogan, that's me, Mike Marlin, on the other line. This is going to be a good one, man. We had to bring this guest back. You know, he was just here, but you know what? There's so many things we could have touched on in the last show. But, you know, he had to get ready for a fight. He had to get ready to yeah. whip somebody's ass, so we didn't want to interrupt that. So. And uh, a fight that went really well. He <laughs> so, and he as had, he did whip. Okay. He, had, he had a game opponent in Tim Means, yeah. and that was the fight that turned around the whole card because it was – it wasn't that interesting of a card, and then the very last preliminary pre- preliminary fight on Fox was Matt Brown versus Tim Means, which was an awesome fight. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny, funny comments about his walk-in music as well by <laughs> yeah, none other than the UFC president. We'll make sure to address that. Oh, Before we get to Matt Brown today, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Again, I want to thank everyone that's been using coupon code LLA to support the show. And let me just pull up my list of people. Again, they're using coupon code LLA to get 10% off the best nutrition supplements ever designed, period, at MikeMahler.com. And just a few of the people, Patrick Peden, we mentioned his wife, Maria, on the last episode. She bought some products. She's a big fan of my estrogen blocker, and she just started taking Restores on. Patrick uses the testosterone booster, the recovery oil. I can I can I'm a Vegas Betty man. I can bet I'll, I'll bet my life savings that they're a happy couple. Uh, I bet they are. Okay. <laughs> we have Anthony Rodriguez, we have Tom Solis, Scott Walser, and Michael Oshiro. And just before we got on the show today, I had the que- we're gonna start doing the question of the week because I get some doozies, man. I get so I get some good ones. Good one. All right, here's a guy who recently asked me about my testosterone booster. And I'm not going to say his name because I think he might even be embarrassed by this question once he hears the answer. But anyway, he said a friend of his recommended the aggressive strength testosterone booster, says it sounds really interesting, although he doesn't understand why I'm selling an estrogen blocker because in my YouTube clip about the product, I mentioned clearly that the testosterone booster doesn't affect hormone levels. Do I? (laughs) <laughs> Why would I say that a product that's called a testosterone booster doesn't affect hormone levels? Last time I checked, testosterone is a hormone. And then he goes on, I've taken pro-hormones and test boosters before, and I want to avoid any type of product that requires a post-cycle, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so let me clarify here a thing. First, yes, it does affect hormones. Testosterone's a hormone. It's a testosterone booster. It increases testosterone. Therefore, it affects hormones. It also lowers estrogen, another hormone, so it affects that. Hey, it even has Makuna in it, which is an adaptogen herb, which helps mitigate excess cortisol. So there you go. Three hormones affected. And it also improves insulin sensitivity. Bam, four hormones affected. So, of course, I didn't say that in the clip. You clearly misunderstood <laughs> me. I'm assuming you're thinking that I said that it doesn't affect natural production. Okay, it doesn't affect natural production in a negative manner. That part's true, meaning that it won't shut down natural testosterone production. So it doesn't require any post-cycle. I didn't make the estrogen blocker as a re- required product with the testosterone booster. The estrogen blocker is a standalone product. It's made for women who have too much estrogen and guys who have too much estrogen, meaning you got fucking bitch tits. <laughs> Call your wife she who must be obeyed. You fucking can't put the goddamn – you can't go to the mail without her permission. All right. You have by. to sneak so, out of the house to go have a drink with your buddies. And you my favorite. And my favorite. I would buy a gun, but the boss won't let me. <laughs> well, the boss needs a gun. 
Tell her to stop watching Dukes of Hazzard. Because Boss Hogg needs to take a break. Anyway, the product works by helping your brain communicate with your balls, assuming you have any, which in a lot of cases is is questionable to say the least. And it it sends a hormone called luteinizing hormone from your brain to your testes to signal more testosterone production. So that's why it's ramping up your natural testosterone production. If you have really high luteinizing hormone levels and you still have low testosterone, it means that you're not going to respond to natural testosterone-boosting protocols. It means that some form of hormone replacement, whether it's precursors such as pregnenolone, DHEA, Scottish pine bark, or actual TRT, testosterone injections, cream, pellets, etc., that's what's going to work for you. So anyway, we addressed that on an episode that's either going to come out before or after this one. Before, you've already heard it, or you should be hearing it, or after, you'll hear it. So anyway, we'll get yeah. to that later. Anything else you wanted to say, Sincere, before we get to Matt? No, nah, man. Let's, you know, let's get right to Matt, man. We'll address everything else after we speak. Yeah, let's get that. to this, yeah, man. Let's do Matt, it. Matt, I was, I was really happy to hear the Josta song, The Immortal, as your walking <laughs> music. And then I was very amused to hear Dana White's comments about your death metal pick about killing babies, families, whatever he said. I think I think we need to send him the lyrics. Last time I checked is persistence personified is one of the lines in the song. So that, I think uh, I think we need to send him a, a course on the difference between hardcore music or intense metal music and death metal. Yeah, Dana does not get that at all, right? But, you know, I guess looking at it from the outside, if I wasn't a metal guy since I was like 12 or 13 years old, I I guess I could see having the misperception of it, right? I mean, hate breed, you know, that's all he heard probably. Well, it wasn't even hate breed, right? It was just a side project. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But then again, this is a guy whose favorite band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) And I hate Red Hot. I hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm not a fan at all. (laughs) Hey, hey, I like the peppers, the older peppers, man. I like the early 90s. And, you know, that I like that. Well, the bassist used to be in a punk band called Fear. That was kind of cool. But I'm just not a fan of five guys with socks in their dicks playing music. I guess that just doesn't resonate with me. (laughs) That's the thing started going downhill, right? there with the socks <laughs> after mother's uh, milk man i always, I always expect uh, good musicians uh, you know i mean the motherfuckers are good musicians no, they, are, they can put they on are a show good. they can definitely they put on a show no that's true that's all true that's all true <laughs> they still suck but that's all true <laughs> but yeah man, i was cracking in the post-fight interview man as soon as he said that i just started cracking we just talked to matt and then he was like yeah even you know the whole live music thing he was talking about the sinead o'connor you know and and um aaron you know, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Lewis. Aaron from Lewis, State. you know, that was cool. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I even let Matt walk into his crazy killer death music. You know, your family tell death metal music. Oh my gosh, dude, really? <laughs> I asked him the other day. We, oh, I, ahead, I, I was talking to him on the phone the other day, and I asked him if, if, uh, well, I, I said whenever I main event a card, can I have a uh, Josta be on the platform? <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He didn't care too much for that idea for whatever reason. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have yeah. to find some some hardcore metal band that doesn't sound like a metal band. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a name he'll, that's he'll not probably too have, intimidating. He'll probably have him up there or somebody like that. You know, something just like, <laughs> it's like if your daughters can listen to it, then it's safe. Okay. Dana Dana probably thinks Nine Inch Nails is death metal. <laughs> Soundgarden is death metal. <laughs> oh man! No, but that was a great card, man. And it started yeah. off with your fight, which with Tim Means, which was a game opponent, and mm-hmm. your fight was interesting because. I think in an interview you said that the big mistake he made was making it an elbow fight. Once you started yeah. doing that, it, you took over. Why, why do you say that? 
Uh, well, that's what I do, man. That's my game. That's I think right. that's my uh, strongest, uh, my my strongest point in my game. Right. I uh, I trained a lot of elbows for him because I knew that he liked the elbow. I knew that I liked the elbow. So really, I was just waiting for it to turn into an elbow fight. And he came out kind of, uh, uh, you know, he punched me a couple of times, and uh, I, I, my mind, I guess, was a little bit not there because I just wanted to have an elbow fight, really. Yeah. And uh, so it's funny enough, like like I, he punched me a couple of times. I punched him back. It rocked him, and then and then he started trying elbows, and then I elbowed him back and finished him. So it kind of worked out in my favor and. Uh, I'm down to throw elbows with anybody in the world. So I, yeah, I'm, you're, I'll uh, tell you what, man. Next time, just come out to Ludicrous, man, and just have, play throw them bows, and maybe Dana will appreciate that, you know, because he doesn't even uh, he doesn't have a problem with the hip hop music. I mean, so yeah, maybe that's what you just come out to, man. Just kind of warn the guys. Like, well, that's a fun. That's the funny <laughs> part because he's an Easy E fan. If you listen to some of the lyrics, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Easy E too, and I like NWA, but if you listen to some of those lyrics, you know, yeah, it's kind of funny. The guy walk probably wouldn't be too happy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's more death metal than Josta. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it, lyrics wise, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. No, but with the whole what you just said about the elbows with Tim Means, that reminds me of a Musashi quote. I know you're a big fan of Book of Fine Rings as well, where he says your enemy's weapon is your weapon too, and that that's a perfect definition of of that saying. Sometimes, yeah, like your enemy's sword is your sword too. It's like when you right. first read when I when I first read the Art of War, I got that. I was a big fan. When I first read Book of Five Rings, I didn't get it at all. I go, what's this about? Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until I revisited it many times years later that some of it started sinking in. It's very philosophical. It's very poignant, but it's it's easy to miss the point as well that he's talking about. But anyway, the Book of Five Rings, folks, that's yeah. that's one you should check out. And I think it was Musashi, um, maybe. Maybe Musashi, maybe someone else where they actually talked about, they said, you basically, uh, oh man, I, I just completely forgot it. But it's basically, you can be, you're the general and you can make your opponent your soldier. Yeah, that so sounds like Suns. That sounds like Suns too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it was that one, but where I just remember what they were talking about. You can make him fight for you. Right. Rather than against, and yeah, I thought that beautiful, and I've always I always keep that in mind all the time. And it's one of those things we try to. It, it, it's easy to sit here and talk about it, but then when you're in a cage and a dude's trying to knock your head off, you're like, dude, it doesn't feel like he's fucking fighting for me at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sure I'm sure you don't get that feeling when someone's hitting you in the head. It's like, oh man, this this guy's really helping me out here. <laughs> yeah, so that's really like that that next level of of strategy. And, uh, fighting that uh, we're all trying to reach. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's so. It seems like uh, MMA at its essence is really a chess match. It's like a chess match, the truest demonstration of a chess match in the real world. No, okay. Yeah, it's funny you said it. That's where I remember reading that was uh, uh, Josh Waitzkin's book. Okay. He was. The, he, if you know, don't know, who he is. He was the. Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Art of Learning, uh, uh, attacking chess. He, he was yeah. the guy that. Uh, the movie in searching for Bobby Fisher, Bobby okay. Fisher was based yeah. on. Right. Yes. Right. He was the chess prodigy, and yeah, it was referring to chess, how you can make your opponent work for you in chess, and I just applied it towards MMA. Yeah. Yeah, we see that all the time in MMA, where someone is seemingly losing, and then they find an opportunity, like they're just waiting. Yeah. Waiting see, yeah. 
four rounds they lost, and in the fifth round they find an opportunity. Bam, they stay calm, they capitalize. Well, Robbie they was ex- Robbie was a clear you know oh, example yeah, of that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, that was a crazy yeah, fight. I, I, learned, I learned a lot of that from fighting Robbie. Man, he was. Hmm. Um, I, I never really considered Robbie to be a, a highly intelligent person. Uh, when you when you hear him talk and everything, he doesn't really uh, come across like a, like a really really smart guy right. or like an intellectual guy or anything. But in the cage, his fight IQ really surprised me. I did not expect him to be as smart as he was. It threw me off a little bit. Yeah, people right. say that about Nick Diaz as well, right? Like he's just talking to him, he has a heart. He has a lot of frustrations in expressing himself with words, <laughs> but in a combative environment. He's highly intelligent, very smart in a lot of ways. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. You know, people in bands are like that too, man. Yeah, you know, you, I, we've we've talked to people that are lead singers of bands, and they're they they say you know and um or uh every other word, but when they write <laughs> lyrics and they're up on stage, it's 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 poetry emotion. Yeah, 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 and that's that's how I, I get nervous in front of any group of people at all i'm completely nervous mm. but when i'm in a cage in front of millions of people or however you know however many people are watching tv it doesn't bother me at all and i'm comfortable and and i, I enjoy it and embrace it and it actually lifts me up mm. that's interesting so we're not going to see you do a ted talk anytime soon <laughs> 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 well i mean i'm I'm trying to get better at it. I I, I used to be that guy. If I, I listen to myself sometimes, some really old interviews, and I would be saying, you know, after every sentence and right. constant ums and thinking. And um, I've really focused on uh, not really focused, but I put some energy into trying to be better spoken. And I think in the long run, it should uh, should pay off for me. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm I'm just a fucking warrior. You know what I mean? So, but oh, you, yeah, you, you, well, you talk on, with uh, your hands, man. That's yeah. all that matters. You know, well, I mean, you do a good job on the Great MMA Debate. That's a cool show, yeah. and you, you work you work well with your co-hosts on there. You were, you did a good job on Jamie Josta's podcast. That's why I wanted to get you on our show after hearing you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, Josta's really good at making you feel really comfortable. Like you guys are good at that, and so is my co-host on the Great MMA Debate. So, you know, certain guys, man, you know, you can just vibe with a little better. Right. So, right. You know, like when I when I hear you guys do your introduction, I automatically know I'm going to vibe a little better with people like you. They ain't afraid to say fuck every now and then. And, <laughs> you know. That's kind yeah. of one of the points of the intro is that it helps the guest kind of relax. Like, like, realize, what, are like these, okay. what are these guys all about? Exactly. Yeah, I can understand, <laughs> I've, I've, man. I've been on podcasts where there, I mean, you have two sincere, right? Where, oh. the, where the host is just really uptight and you're like, well, Jesus, man. I'm like, man, dude, seriously? It's going to be a long man, I've been on some weird motherfucking shit before, man. Sometimes... <laughs> Like, like these guys, just complete amateurs. They got no idea what they're doing, and and, I, and halfway through it, I'm like, why do why did I agree to this shit? What <laughs> just trying to figure out a way out without being too rude. Because then you're going to get that that one guy that you know wants He's to asshole, tweet man. you 50 times about how you're a dickhead for <laughs> right. That, that's when you have your your wife text you or something, going, "Hey, I got an emergency right now. My wife just texted me about the kids. I'm gonna have to drop this call, man. Sorry." Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? My wife's in labor. <laughs> so she's pregnant again. It's like every podcast, yeah, man. Your wife is pregnant. 
No, but the great the great MMA debate's a cool show. Anyone who's a big fan of MMA will love that show. And it's it's an entertaining show in general. I think even people that are not too big of a fan will just like the conversation. I think people listen to podcasts for good conversation. But you know, it's something man, to do when you have dead time. You know, when you start talking about these amateurs, that's how I feel sometimes on those post-fight interviews, just listening to some of those guys out in the audience and the questions they ask. Half of them, I don't <laughs> think they're even listening because they ask the same thing again. I'm like, dude, did you just hear him say don't ask that question again. It's just, I just, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, who are these guys, and how do they get a press pass to get in there in the first mm-hmm. place? Just if you have a blog and you say have an MMA blog, it seems like those guys end up getting into the little press corps or whatever, doing the presses or whatever. And it's just they ask the most asinine questions, man. You know, you know what the most <laughs> annoying thing is is when, let's say, someone like Dana makes a statement. And then they ask another question, which is basically just getting him to reiterate that statement. It could be something like, okay, so you think you're going to match up Matt Brown and Carlos Condit? Oh, I don't, we don't make those decisions tonight, so we'll have to think about it. So who, who's, okay, up, so, who's so, up next so, to Matt? Yeah, who's Matt be like, next? So, so, you're, so you haven't made a decision about it. It's like, that's what he just said, <laughs> motherfucker. You know, how, many to, how many different ways does he have to say it? You know, it's like a cop, it's like a cop trying to trip you up. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. What drives me crazy about that post-fight press conference is the uh, they asked Dana so many goddamn questions. Yeah. He's like, and, he didn't uh, fight. There's six Usually there's five or six fighters sitting there. Right. It's a post-fight press conference. Not a, you know, they should be called post-event press conference because it's Dana's event. We're the ones who did the fighting, and they hardly ever ask us any questions. They ask Dana about attendance and you know and how, how much money buys. did you get. Yeah. Yeah, how who many, gives a fuck? How, how many, many, blood, how many, you, how many you, Bud Lights were sold that exactly. night? Exactly. All, yeah, all the fighters are pretending to drink those Zion's drinks in front of them. You know, while, <laughs> how many Octagon Girls were there the night, Dana? Why were there nine? I'm like, shoot. Yeah. I mean, why not? not? Like, I'm, I'm sitting there like, 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 what the fuck am I even doing here? Why are you, why are like, you guys? Uh, Ariane's rack looked bigger tonight. Is she pregnant? Yeah. I can see why Data, you know, Data actually handles it pretty well. I can see why he gets frustrated, though, when they keep asking the same questions or these kind of instigator type questions. I, I, he handles it pretty well, though. But you're right. All the fighters are just sitting. Sometimes a fighter doesn't get asked anything. It's like, why is he yeah, even exactly. there? Just like, let him go. There. And I'm sitting there. Connor's just sitting there bleeding out of his ear the whole time. And this dude's just asking the same question over and over and over. It's like, did he surprise you tonight? Was it what you expected? Like, dude, can this dude can't do something about that bleeding ear? It's just leaking the whole time. Like, come on, man. We're not here to participate. We're here to take over. <laughs> Connor. I wonder if they could ever do it like they did in, like they do in basketball or football where they come in the locker room and, and, you know, like all of me. That would be hilarious. Exactly. Especially, uh, what's that girl's name who interviews everybody? She's actually pretty good. What's her oh, name? Karen uh, Bryant. Oh goddamn! Heidi, 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 whatever her name is. No, not Heidi. Oh, she's, she's she's not there post. Oh, she's there post fight, like literally when you walk out of the octagon backstage. <laughs> Karen Bryant. No, it's not Karen Bryant. It's this young white girl. Yeah, it's Heidi. Oh, Megan. No, no, Megan. Not, Ma- Megan, Megan. Oh, Megan, yeah, Megan. Exactly. Megan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does a good job. She does a good job. She's very well versed okay. in fighting and so forth so she asks pretty intelligent questions it's rare that i see her ask a question where i'm going man that guy must be tired of this exactly i think she's dating uh joseph benavidez actually so that's she's obviously got a cheat sheet between the sheets you know yeah yeah i said it that's right i said that he's at home with her in the bedroom he's like he's like would you stop asking me fighter questions you know? not now baby now <laughs> She's like, like, this is how I move up ahead, man. I need to know this stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
So, I mean, Matt, you've got some pretty strong views about the UFC drug testing. I noticed that they I remember they said they were going to be really strict about if you're if you're caught with PEDs or you pop for a testosterone test. I thought it's I thought it was going to be a three year ban initially. Right. And so far, it's only been a one year ban. Is it because that that new line of thinking hasn't kicked in yet? Well, okay. so what? The original thing was was that they're going to follow the the WADA rules, the okay. WADA, and which is a four year minimum ban. And in the past, it has been basically a one year ban. And I believe one year, it might have even been just up in the air, like whatever they decided was the right ban. I don't even think it was one year actually. Right. But regardless, regardless, uh, it cut when we did the the. Um, the, they did a USADA sit down meeting before fight week, I think on like Wednesday. Right. And it's only a two year ban. And I asked them, I said, okay, well, why is it a four year ban? Why is that the standard across the world, you know, from the world anti doping agency? Right. And, uh, and what, and ours is a two year all of a sudden. Like, where did this come from? And he, gave me some bullshit about how it's, you know, it follows the Olympic cycle and basically it's about not being able to compete in the next Olympics, whatever. But yeah, I just found it completely ridiculous. I, I don't see to me, if you're, if you're not doing the shit, why do you care how long the ban right. is? It could be a lifetime ban. It right. wouldn't matter. For yeah. Reason. Yeah. yeah. Who gives a shit? And, and I get where, you know, where, why it wouldn't be a lifetime ban where, you know, say you're, you know, 20 year old kid, you made a mistake and, you know, you probably fucked your testosterone up even worse than you should have to start with. And, yeah. you know, things like that. I mean, I, I'm not for forgiving people like that, but I get it if they want to be all political about it and do that. But, yeah, like like you said, and and we just said, if, if you ain't on the shit, then what's your concern? Why do you care? So I talked about, I don't know, maybe I'm going to do a petition, maybe like a change.org or something and – Maybe get all the fighters to sign something to say, you know, let's let's have at least a four year ban. I I don't see any reason whatsoever why four four years is not any problem at all. I don't I don't see any reason whatsoever why that would be too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think some of the you know I think you know I think really goes on. I think is not okay. Let's use baseball as an example, right? I think in a lot of sports, baseball, football, etc. They want to please the public by saying we're going to crack down on this because these guys are all role models for kids. God forbid that the, the kids' role models are tarnished. And then at the same time, behind the scenes, it's like, look, guys, do whatever it takes to compete at the highest level. But if you get caught, we're going to pinch you because they, 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 they want these guys to compete at the highest level because that's how they make the most amount of money. Remember when every baseball player was hitting fucking 60 home runs? Exactly. You know, that's what it seemed like it's anyway. It's like, it's like 10 guys broke Roger Maris's record in the same year while no one even came close to 60 home runs for decades before that. Yeah. The closest was George Foster, who had a fluke year of 52 <laughs> in like 1977, and he never got over 30 home runs again. So it was a total fluke. And then all of a sudden, baseball became exciting again. Hell, even I started watching when right. I heard about because you, you saw home runs every game. I was like, this is fun. And then all of a sudden, they cracked down. No one's come close again to those levels of home runs, that level of excellency. So I, th- I think it's a bait-and-switch type game where it's, okay, folks, we're going to crack down on this. We're taking well, this seriously. But then at the same time, it's, well, let's not crack down too hard. 
because we, we don't want guys, well, we don't want everyone to stop. Well, exactly. I mean, you sit there and you give a four-year ban, you know, that puts a lot of their superstar, you know, special ones at risk. You know, all their the top moneymakers or whatever, because they're, they're probably going an extra mile in order to be at the top of their game. So it's not like the playing field is leveled up there for a lot of these guys, some of these guys who are the champs or who's like, you know, the number one contender or whatever else. So now you start kind of, like I said, you start playing around with the money when you start saying, okay, let's just make it two years. You know, and just, you know, get it together or just find something better to mask that stuff next time around. So we don't have to be in this position. <laughs> and in two years, there's no telling what you can find that can mask that stuff at that time. So it's just playing the game. Yeah, That's one thing I, I, didn't, I didn't ask him that I'll, I've, I've been curious about since is are they going to be tested during those two years? Because uh-huh. that's a yeah. that's a perfect amount of yes. time to go get a bunch of you know the oil based stuff and the you know the oral stuff that's in your system even longer. Right. You're going to get more jacked. You could move up a weight class in that time. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could pull an just, Alistair Overeem in that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You could pull a Vitor Belfort in that time. Man. <laughs> poster poster boy for TRT. You could be like. You'd be like, Louis Simmons, what's your regimen, man? Get me on that for those two years. <laughs> Help me get off this shit before I have to start fighting. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I, I didn't ask about that, but uh, I don't know. The whole thing just, you know, kind of reeks of shadiness to me. But, you know, I'm not saying that the UFC has anything to do with that, but the the USADA, man, I, I don't know. It, I, I, these subjects are always touchy because – yeah. People are so fucking like brainwashed about it or something. Right. I mean, to me, like, like I don't care. I look at it like this: look, there's nothing wrong. I don't give a fuck who any who puts what in their body in in this world. I don't care. Anybody can put all the steroids you want. I don't care what you compete in, what you do. But if they're going to make a rule against it, then it's either gotta be black or white. It can't right. be. It can't be a slap on the wrist. It can't be. Because we're talking about, you know, punching people in the face and hurting people, hurting their lives, hurting their legacies, hurting their careers. It can't be black and white. If you can do it, do whatever the fuck you want. If you can't do it, then you're fucked. Your right. career should be fucked. Your your legacy should be fucked. Your your life should be fucked. You should find a different job. Right. Yeah. Altogether. Yeah, I can respect that. I mean, it's it's it's, it's one or the other rather than this middle this gray area, and they pick and choose. You know, okay, well, yeah. I mean, just when I look back at just when uh, they they sat there and suspended, let's say Nick Diaz for having marijuana like metabolites in his system. That's yeah, a great someone, performance enhancer. Oh yeah, I'm like, really? That's a, that, that's going to be a danger, really? Come on. I man. love getting stoned before fighting. I yeah. find it really helps. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me so much faster. Whenever you know, I get into a street fight, I make sure to smoke a joint right before. You know, <laughs> man, man. See, I actually encourage my opponents. To <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing I don't like about that rule. I'm like, dude, don't that, that, that's why you were stoned. pushing for that Nate Diaz fight. It all makes sense now. <laughs> I would buy him an ounce of weed. <laughs> So you go party the night before you have a placebo he's got his big slip oh, man. So, yeah, like yeah but you know drug testing is going to get a, it's only going to get worse because in the there's there are things in the pipeline right now right yeah. performance development that are going to make steroids look like fucking vitamins like vitamins it's gonna be like flintstones you know no i mean there are stem cell strategies where you will be able to go underwater for 10 minutes without having to come up for air 
you know, there's going to be things you can take where you could take an average person and turn them into a, a world-class sprinter. I'm not saying it's coming out next year or even five years from now, but th- those kind of technologies are in the pipeline. Yeah. What do you, what do you they think already have a, a technology for myostatin blockers, right? Yeah. Well, they have. Uh, we had we had the guy who de- who designed a myostatin blocker, Dr. Carlin Kolker. It's a nutrition yeah. supplement. I don't know how effective that is, though, okay. uh, because because studies can be. Okay, when you do it, when you do a study at a university for a nutrition supplement, you can't you can't fake the results, right? Because that's a big time penalty. But what you can do is set up the study in such a manner where it's going to determine the results in a way that's favorable for you. So when they say, okay, this increased myostatin by this, I think you have to look at it in the context of the study because it may have increased myostatin in a way that's superficial, which has no use. In the world, so a lot of a lot of supplements have stuff such as this person's strength went way up, but then you look at the person and it's someone who's never worked out before. You know, mm-hmm. so how much of it was the supplement? How much of it was the fact that this is an untrained person or someone who's never worked out seriously? So that that's the thing about any nutrition supplement. That's why when people ask me, they go, "How come you don't put together these studies for your testosterone booster?" And I'm like, "Well, one, it's not easy to do that. Two, it's expensive, and three, I don't need to. I've got customers that are buying it, getting before and after results, and getting great results." But even if I did put together this study, so what? You know, it can be it can be framed in a way yeah. to make it favorable for their benefits. I want the real key is: Are people that are fucking buying it getting great results? And the answer is yes, and that's all you need to know. That's so, awesome. so I mean, uh, the the most well researched nutrition supplement is creatine because what happened is initially it started off as a as a supplement to improve exercise. In, in particular, power output, so power lifting, Olympic lifting, et cetera. And then it got the attention of major anti-aging researchers because it found they, they found out there were additional benefits such as brain health and so forth. So then a lot of fucking different people with money started studying creatine and more and more benefits just kept on coming out about it. Even now, 20 years later, actually more, probably 30 years after it became popular, even now more studies are still coming out how it protects neurons, how it improves endurance how it has cardiovascular protective benefits. I mean, it just keeps on piling on. Now, the okay, did I say it wrong? It's not the myostatin blocker that you want. It would be the opposite. You want yeah, it's more a myo- myostatin. Well, it's a myostatin. Yeah, exactly. It's a not a, not a myostatin. Let me, let me get this right myself. Yeah, I think it's a myostatin inhibitor that you want because myostatin okay. actually controls muscles. You want to inhibit it so that muscle can grow freely. Like those, okay. like some of those animals they show, like the big calf and so forth. That that's that's an animal that doesn't have myostatin. So as a, as a result, it's, the muscle just grows crazy. So myostatin is something like almost a like a safety mechanism we have so that we don't get too big. So it's okay. made it's it's made in place so that we just don't overdevelop. So we look like uh, what, what's the name of that fighter fought in Pride? That big black dude. Oh, um, uh, um, used to be Bob a former football. Yeah, Bob, Bob Sapp, right? <laughs> so we don't end up looking like Bob Sapp. Like you're that's gonna, like that's like a problem. Head, that's gonna just, happen. You're just head and shoulders. Like, dude, where's your neck, man? It's like seriously. It's just, it was <laughs> well, like I was one saying, big massive dark. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no neck. Could, you couldn't choke the guy out because he didn't have a neck. Yeah, no. How do you choke him out? <laughs> I think it might be safe to say that you might have to take a little bit of extra things you know, to look like Bob Sapp. Maybe, yeah, 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 maybe. Well, he worked. He worked with Victor Conte, where he was taking yeah. designer steroids. He was taking one thing called the Clear. Yo, which was yeah. a designer steroid. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Patrick Arnold is the one who turned – Patrick Arnold is a very controversial guy. He's the one who's the, the, the godfather of the pro-hormones. Yeah. And Patrick Arnold introduced Victor Conte to the clear, and even Patrick Conte didn't want to sell it. 
And that's a that's a that's a pretty scary sign right there because Patrick Patrick Arnold will will sell anything. You know that guy sold any of the hormone. Even Androstein Dion, which later on determined to have some pretty bad comp- problems for people with bitch tits and other health consequences. And then some of the pro hormones weren't that unsafe. But basically, when the whole promo hormone phase kicked in, everybody was excited about it. But in reality, it would have been safer for them to take steroids, which have actually been studied for many years, than a lot of the pro-hormones, which were just mm-hmm. derivatives of steroids that people just found. And, and because they, they fell into a loophole where they weren't under the same laws as steroids because they were just newfound metabolites. So that's why they had that whole period where everybody was selling these pro-hormones, which are basically legal steroids. The thing is, is they're not as powerful as the real thing. But they have many of the same negatives, if not more. You know, some people shut down their testosterone completely from taking one andro, which was one of the most harsh ones. So, so anyway, so Patrick, going back to Patrick Arnold, he he turned on Victor Conte to the clear, and then the clear was pretty harsh shit. But it worked really well to get you bigger and stronger. But everything comes with a price. You know, I think there's that, kind of that's yeah. what all the baseball players were using was that clear, yeah. right? Yeah, they were using the clear, and then you know, people like Mark McGuire, they, they started scrutinizing when they found him using andro. I wouldn't be surprised if he was using Andro as a way to cover up what he was actually using, you know, which had more benefit because it wasn't Andro that was helping him hit 60 home runs. Andro doesn't do dick, especially there's there's several levels of Andro. There's Androstenedione, which increases testosterone for about an hour, and then it goes down, and then your estrogen goes way up for a lot more than an hour. So Andro was quickly marginalized once more people tried it. A lot of people tried it that were guinea pigs, and they realized, okay, this is not good. And then there was Androstenedione for Androstenedione which had a much longer half-life. So that increased testosterone and it stayed up and it didn't have the same negative as just rapidly converting into estrogen. Like 4-Andro is actually pretty good. It's a precursor to testosterone. So that if, if that were available now, that would be one of the better options. And then there were the norandros. And the norandros are very similar to DECA in the sense that it gives you DECA dick, <laughs> which means you have broken dick syndrome. You know, if you take stuff like that. It's it's really good for improving physique composition, but it comes with a price. And the price oh, that's is that's a big price, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a big price, man. I'd rather have a I'd rather nah, have I'm a good. gut and a sex drive than, than a six pack and no function, man. <laughs> exactly. All show so no the, go, bro. <laughs> so the, these pro hormones were kind of a scary period in the supplement industry because most of it was everyone who took it was a guinea pig. And I, I played around with some hormones during that period. I remember a company called Testosterone Magazine had one, and I was writing a bunch of articles for them, and we could get free supplements or discounts on them. And they had one product that Joe Rogan always talks about on his show called Mag10. And it was a it was a liquid liquid pro-hormone product with four andro and one andro. The one andro equaled pretty big increases in strength. The four andro was put in there to counterbalance the negatives of one andro, which was it lowered your sex drive big time. Just had that kind of negative consequence for it. While the four andro increased testosterone, which increases your test sex drive, so they, were, they put that in there to, to balance out the negatives of the one andro. I never used it long enough to get any major negatives. I used it for two weeks, then I would take two weeks off. And I think I did two cycles of it, and I didn't get anything spectacular out of it, but I didn't use it that long, and I, di- I didn't want to go down that road. I think I was like 28 at the time. I didn't really want to play around with that kind of stuff. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. But a lot of people would abuse it because they would get on it for two weeks, and then they feel great. You're not going to take two weeks off. You're going to keep fucking going. You know, you're, getting, you're getting stronger in the gym every workout for two weeks, uh, and then you, yeah. then you got to take a two-week break? I don't think so. <laughs> So these guys would use it. You made me so happy that I was broke back in the day walking in. (laughs) Yeah, stuff was expensive. It was like a hundred bucks for a bottle. Yeah, Yeah. it it was. It wasn't cheap. Like I want to get jacked, and I was 
realized I was way too broke to buy all this shit. But <laughs> if I, I would have bought all that shit if I had money, and and right now I wouldn't have any balls and wouldn't have any. <laughs> probably wouldn't have a career. <laughs> wouldn't yeah, have a career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no joke, no joke. It can be pretty scary stuff. I mean, you know, when you when you play around with powerful substances like this, you really need to know what you're doing. It's not something where you just buy it and fuck around and see if you figure it out. You know, the consequence, it, it can be done safely. A lot of this stuff can be done safely, but you have to know what you're doing. Like a lot, we, had an, we had our friend Anthony Roberts on the show talking about truths and myths about steroids a couple episodes back. And Anthony's written several books on anabolics. And he just broke down. He's like, look, a lot of the so-called negatives are myths. They've never act- actually happened. It's more conjecture or speculation. But Things like the roid rage and – yeah. And- Roid Rage is basically if you're a dick, you're going to be a bigger oh dick Oh, my God, now. dude. And that's the one thing. Club. When you guys watch that HBO special about you know domestic violence and MMA and whatever, and fucking Brian Gumbel starts talking about the Roid Rage and all this other stuff, like War Machine and all this other stuff, man. It just well, Brian it Gumbel, needs, he needs yeah, to get he, on Roid Rage is what he needs to yeah, he get. Needs, he, needs his to get wife, he needs to get the penis out of His place is way too high, man, oh all right? Oh, my gosh, man. You know, some people, you don't even have to look at their blood levels to know what, <laughs> to where they're at. It's like Brian Gumbel, that's estrogen personified, man. Gosh, that guy's man. got like the highest pitch voice in the world, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that there's those people think about steroids though. They think uh, it, it's funny. It's funny what people think about steroids out there. Is it? Yeah, it, it, they're so far off. It's not even funny. Just like with a lot of recreational drugs, people think marijuana is gonna kill brain cells and make you infertile, and you know all this other bullshit. When in actuality, it's a million times safer than alcohol is. Those same people who say that are drinking fucking Jack Daniel shots and Jägermeister, going, chase "Oh yeah, that would beer. stop terrible." <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna chase it down with a Budweiser. Like- Okay. Yeah, man. <laughs> you don't have to do well, it. I mean, they're even sitting there drinking, you know, uh, fucking Pepsi or something. It's oh, just yeah, as bad. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Better. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, there and or there. Mountain Dew. It's just like you know, they're all jacked up on the caffeine from Mountain Dew with all that sugar as well. But but it's like a forty-eight ounce at that. <laughs> but it's a diet Mountain yeah. Dew though. It's a diet. I mean that weed that weed's better <laughs> for you than the than the fucking Snickers bars they got. <laughs> now, now, now if you get the right kind of weed, you might want some Snickers bars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, very true. But it, but it's but it's amazing how many you know most most of what we think is knowledge is basically myths that someone told us that we perpetuate yeah. without thinking critically about it. It's like someone's told us something and then we repeat it, especially in our industry with sincere mind, the fitness industry. I mean, most of what people say are, I'll give you an example, like the whole thing about gluten, right? So you have the paleo diet who are really anti-gluten. They go, gluten's yeah. a big problem, fucks up your gut health, it, it can make holes in your GI tract, it can cause uh, autoimmune issues and so forth. Now, a lot of that stuff is true for a very small segment of the population, people with celiac disease. So people with celiac disease, yeah, gluten can be a big problem. So what they're saying is that, okay, if it's bad for people with celiac, it's bad for everybody. And then that's the line of thinking. No, if it's bad for people with celiac, it's bad for people with celiac. You know, like if sincere, if if I, if I have an allergy to eggs and sincere doesn't, guess what? He can do. He can eat it, to, even though I can't. Doesn't mean it's unhealthy for him. It's, you know, it's just. It, it, and then so many people are are sucking this paleo diet dick without thinking critically about anything. And and it's it's not just that. It's it's, it's myths on so many different sides. Yeah, that, that's like uh, pretty much everything in our culture, right? People exactly. just – people Either. don't think for themselves. They want other people to think for them. And, and when you let other people think for you, then you end up with uh, you know, 
a bunch of false information in your head. Exactly. Well, that's why 48 Laws of Power is is that's why what Robert Greene talks about how to manipulate people is so easy because people want yeah. to be manipulated. Exactly. They want Dude, to there's, be manipulated. There's this, this documentary. If you guys ever get it, get like four hours out of your day to sit down and watch it. It's long as shit. There's four different parts. It's called Century of the Self. Hmm. It's the fucking most intense craziest shit blew my goddamn mind like don't smoke weed when you're watching it because you'll you'll lose your fucking head your head will blow i mean dude it's, it's a crazy it's just, the the whole thing is about the beginnings of pr um and and it's about how basically how they controlled mass populations of people and how they have the beginnings of this like how they they made people decide to do things in in mass populations Blow your mind, man. Right. I, I can't. I can't even. I can't even go too deep into it, like, because uh, just even thinking about it kind of blows my mind. But when you, when it, it just kind of brings out, it talks about like the beginning of focus groups and where all that came from. Um, some of the stories in there, it's, it's just unreal. The the guy came from the original uh, grandfather of PR. His name is Edward Bernays, and his. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, hmm. so it's, it's really, really crazy, man. He was actually he was ex- actually the opposite of Sigmund Freud, which is kind of interesting too. But absolutely, if you get a chance to to watch it, anybody out there, I think everybody in the world should watch it and and be prepared to have your mind fucking blown. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. That sounds very current, you know. With yeah, like, sounds like now that's called I don't know Fox News and CNN these days. <laughs> the same thing, you know. It's just controlling all this, making this herd of sheep get a lot bigger. Because again, people want to be manipulated; they don't want to think for themselves. And it's real mm-hmm. simple to say, like, "Hey, well, this is because of that." Well, where are you getting that from? Well, I just heard. I saw it on Facebook. Well, shit. <laughs> well, there's a credible source. Right, right. <laughs> so, per, okay, I'll give you a perfect example out of the documentary that I think was was really cool. So, when Betty Crocker first came out, mm-hmm. no women w- would buy it because they they didn't want to to um they they didn't want it to be that easy they were you know women in the 50s and 40s were in the kitchen all the time and they they didn't <laughs> want it to be so simple they they wanted to feel like they did work for their family and everything right so uh, so what so when betty crockett first came out the little pre-made cakes or muffins or cornbread or whatever um they couldn't sell them for shit so nobody was buying them so they did a focus group Found out all they did was all they changed was now you have to put an egg into it, which originally you did you didn't have to do that. So they felt like they were doing <laughs> some amount of work by putting a fucking egg into it and stirring it up and put it in the oven. And to this day, you still have to put a, a fucking egg in. I think you might have put butter or something too. But <laughs> that, that's a perfect. Exa- so they start they blew up right after that. Uh, yeah, there's there's uh, a lot of so, things like that. So that that's yeah, lots, a, a yeah. lots and lots of. But this well, is I mean, slavery slavery is another example, right? Like we we like to have this uh this like look at someone like Abraham Lincoln and go, oh, he was such a great man, he got rid of slavery. It's like it's like okay, on paper that's true, yeah. but the real reason why slavery went to the wayside a, is because of technology. The technological developments allowed people to do the uh, same dude. amount of work for a much lower price. So now it wasn't economically feasible to have slaves anymore when you could use the technology instead. So basically, it was it was it was more economic reasons than people well, being more socially responsible yeah, and more, or changing and, their life. Thinking. And even yeah, more and economic reasons. But that whole thing wasn't even what well, people need to understand. Like you know, that right there was a smoke and mirrors type of thing, just putting slavery on there because it really came down to economics of okay, South, you do all the work, and you know, you sit there, and you, you produce all this cotton or whatever. We're gonna tax you. 
So, you know, so you can keep our government going up here in the north because, you know, we don't we already freed slaves and, you know, we, but we want this free labor from you. So you keep them, you know, but then the South was like, screw that. You're not going to sit there and take money from us and tax us out the ass and, and try to tell us what to do. You know, if that's the case, then, you know, we just won't be a part of this nation anymore. And that became a problem. So Lincoln, like, OK, I got to do something really quick, but I got to make sure that everybody's going to be on board with this, you know, to stop these guys. So. Let's just make this about slavery. There's there's a point because, you know, that right there is a sensitive little political issue that we can use on our end. And then what will end up happening, we'll end up, the slaves will eventually want to come and join us and then come be with us. See, a lot of people never get that. So all this arguing, like what happens with the Confederate flag and all that, you know, it's just so funny to me. I said half the people have, they didn't read history when they were in class. They didn't understand what really went on behind. It was just more, again, it was more than just this simple thing like, oh, yeah, the Civil War is about slavery. Nah, man. It's, it's, any war is going to always be about money. It's going to be about money. Yeah. It's not about, there's nothing moral about a war. No one's fighting Well, I mean, if we're, if we're about doing the right thing, then, you know, Clinton would have intervened in Rwanda exactly. and stopped 900,000 people from well, being butchered. Hey, you know like, during Rwanda, like 100,000 people were butchered in a week, and then it's like, well... Let's right. leave. That's that's not our problem. Right. Now, if there they were oil, oil, oil yeah. refineries yeah. there yeah, or, diamonds, or gold you know? mining, <laughs> exactly. yeah, exactly, diamond. <laughs> so it's like uh, nine hundred thousand people just got butchered in thirty days. Let's just leave that alone. So I mean, yeah, it, yeah it, it, there's always an economic factor. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Oh, yeah. Well, there you, you know, go. Another one. I, um, I always understood, and I, I might be wrong, but that the the North was mad. Lincoln was mad because the. They couldn't tax the slaves themselves because they were owned by the, the slave owner, right? That was part of it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know shit about it really. <laughs> I know. That, I know when you when you do look into it, you know, if you Google that or whatever, uh, you know, read different history books, you will get ten different opinions from ten right. different history books, right? Because Lincoln is like a very controversial uh, figure that everybody seems to have their own opinion about, right? Yeah, and I even laugh on the flip yeah. side of it. Just even today, when people of color are like, even with their political affiliations, I feel like Max Hedrum right now. Yeah. It'll wane off as you keep talking. It's okay. going to be irritating, but yeah, it'll, it'll wane off. <laughs> like, I know I'm a Gemini, but this whole twin thing, okay, that's a little, taking a little too far, man. There we so, go. <laughs> man, that, that threw me off. What the hell was I even talking about, man? Okay. Oh, yeah, so the, just a little political affiliation so you have all these people of color who just swear by being democrats like you say them like dude do you understand during the whole civil rights era right there those are democrats that was freaking sticking dogs on you and, and turning fire hydrants on you you know mm -hmm. so that's that and then always if you're gonna make lincoln a hero well the dude was a republican okay so you gotta look at all these different things so i'm like at the end of the day why are you trying to affiliate with parties and all that how about just do the history and quit trying to belong to something and then have them tell you what to do you know right. why not just think for yourself and realize like all of these people are politicians and they all suck at the end of the day because they're bought and paid for you know well, not I think, even I think it's hard for <laughs> it's hard for people to think for themselves because they don't know themselves. <laughs> they, you know? and there it is they don't know i don't know who i am or what i stand for how am i supposed to think for myself tell me who i am <laughs> yeah well that I means that's what every religion tries to do, right? It's like make you part of a community and it's like here's here's what's right, here's what's wrong, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. And anyone doesn't and, think this way, they're heathens. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, well, you know, it's like I don't need a religion to tell me how to be a good person. Thank you. Exactly. you know, I don't need a religion to tell me what I can or can't do in my life. You know, I'll decide that. I I'll figure a, out. I have a conscience, okay? I don't need a book. I got a conscience, man. <laughs> no, but like uh, like with organic food versus uh, uh, GMO, factory yeah. farming or GMO, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. now. Now, if if organic were way cheaper, 
there wouldn't be a discussion. Everybody would just buy organic. They'd be like, fuck that GMO shit. It's too expensive, right? Right. Because GMO is so much cheaper, people are like, well, let's try to figure out a way to like this because I want to buy the cheaper stuff. Like I always say, like uh, cloned meat or in vitro meat production, right, where they make meat in the lab. You know, right now it's really expensive, so nobody would buy it if they tried to make it now and sell it. It would be ridiculous, cost prohibitive. But eventually the cost is going to be way lower than what we're used to. And everybody's going to switch over because it's cheaper. You know, ultimately everybody's a cheap ass. Same, so you same figure, thing, dude. You figure out how to make stuff cheap, man. Everybody's going to fucking switch. It's, it's not. It's not about what's right or wrong. People don't do the right it's thing. Like, for what the can right I afford? Thing. You know, just like we were talking about the electric car. We were talking about Teslas the other day. You know, yeah. let a Tesla mess around and drop down to about fifteen grand. Everybody in yeah. Mama would want one. Right I now, mean, a used who? one is about sixty grand. Exactly. So People are like, fuck that. It's going to be thirty-five grand, right? What was that? Sorry, what's that? I'd say they got one coming out that's going to be thirty-five grand. Yeah, yeah, they have yeah, a new yeah. one that's coming out. right now. Used ones are fifty grand. I think they have a new model. It, it's going to get cheaper as more people buy it, just like anything else in exactly. economics, right? Supply and demand. You get a lot of people buying it, the price goes down. So eventually, I actually would like to get one of those Tesla cars next time around. I it's think like they're I pretty told cool. Mike, like I told Mike, look, man, I'm a Texan true. When when Tesla starts making badass pickup trucks. Then count me in. <laughs> count me in, man. No. Yeah, but plus, I mean, who, who's 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 getting who's getting oil from Texas anyway? It's all coming from the fucking Middle East, yeah, right? So people are like, well, so people that are ours. like, well, I'm I'm a Texas guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drive oil nah, rigs. Like, well, we're you're hoarding. not you're not you're not using your oil reserves. Yeah, we're you're hoarding. getting it from fucking <laughs> the Middle East. Oil. It's it's, put it like this: the U.S. as a whole has their own reserves of oil that they're stashing away, and then Texas as a whole has their own oil that they're stashing. You know, just mm-hmm. in case. Just like now, they're they're about to open up. They're they're about to do their own Fort Knox here in texas where they're taking their gold back good luck with that you I'm guys you guys are you guys are hoarding sheep over there too but that's for another reason so we won't get into that <laughs> hey, only two things in texas you know what they are was that queers and steers that <laughs> is that an officer and gentleman I, I, gotta, I gotta be pc i can't say this shit yeah, <laughs> yeah we, I, we I don't, don't i don't get, have to be yeah, you you get that'll be that'll be months. a sound bite for matt brown matt exactly. brown said queers and steers in texas yeah. Yeah, we, don't want you, we don't want you going down the road of matt mitrione here and so let, let me let me emphasize folks i said that mike Mahler, not matt brown so don't misquote him all right don't get him in trouble unnecessarily here let's talk about this whole iv thing because uh you, you and i yeah. were texting about how with this whole the, the, soon you're not going to be able to use iv to rehydrate you know after weight yeah. cuts and all that now i'm joe rogan made a point of saying he thinks a lot of people are going to be moving up in weight classes and that made sense to me but you don't think that's the case so why is that yeah i don't see people moving up in weight class just because of the way people will do anything to make weight most most people um i, I think the people are most fighters, maybe like one or two guys might might be might try to do that, but the majority of guys are going to look to make weight at any cost and are not going to be thinking about the recovery. They know they can make the weight. They know that they can get down there. They probably, you know, if they've done it before in the past, but the the first time that they try to do it, or the first time that they do it without an IV, is going to be at a fight. They're not probably not going to do a trial run. That's pretty insane yeah. so they're not they're, they're not gonna even know what they're gonna feel like the next day and think of like wrestlers like they cut weight and, and have to wrestle uh, you know a couple hours later right and right. you know you don't see them guys like saying like okay i'm gonna move up and not cut weight it does happen but more often than not you you continue down the same path like me i have a really hard weight cut i cut 
as much weight. I, I can't imagine people cutting much more weight than me. I mean, I well, do. What, what do you walk around at? I mean, I'm 190 to 195. Okay, okay. On, so that's 25 pounds or so. That's a pretty deep weight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but I just I do it right, and and I don't have to have an IV. Uh, I went a long time without doing IVs. Actually, do you, do you cut it down gradually. So let's say three weeks out from a fight, you might be 185, and then two weeks 180. Or how do you do it? Ideally, yes. Okay. Okay. So, so it's, just, it's just manipulating macros, mo- modifying your diet, and then gradually. Seems like that that would be a more yeah, sensible yeah, approach, yeah. anyway, right? I mean, rather yeah, than exactly. rather people than drastic are, weight cuts. Yeah, people are going to have to learn how to do that a little better. And uh, like what I do myself, I call it a, a nutritional periodization, where where I essentially just uh, periodize my my diff, my macronutrients. Um, so I'll, I'll do like a higher fat, more of a um, uh, more of a paleo style diet right, for so a while. Lower, lower carbohydrates, get rid of water weight, higher protein, higher fat. Yeah, so that that <clears throat> so so I'll go. Uh, I, I needed to write a whole goddamn book on this, really. But so basically, what like after a fight, like I just fought two weeks ago, so I'm still on where where I do a lot higher fat, higher protein, and moderate carbohydrate. Where I'm basically taking more fat to try to recover yeah. um, joints and stuff from my hard training camp. Um, it's good for your hormones too. So I mean, um, yeah, good for your hormones. Mauro de Pasquale, anabolic diet. You know, he talks about fat and protein during the week, and then load up on carbs on the weekend. And then he was able to get people big and really lean doing that. And I've I've, I've tried a lot of the um, those different things. That's that's sort of an ever evolving process when you talk about the the sure. weekly or monthly. Uh, um, or weekly or daily uh, type diets, where, you know, when you're talking about the timing. Um, but when I talk about the grand scheme and my whole periodization plan, I said, so, so like right now, I'd be on a higher fat. And then when, uh, when I start training uh, really hard, I'll, I'll do a higher protein and bring the carbs up a little higher and lower the fat a little bit. Right. Uh, and, you know, and then as I get closer to the fight, um, I obviously have dropped all the calories. So, all around all three of them so um i'd make even higher protein um of course the veggies uh, always stay pretty high but they'll be even higher at that point right. um, the carbohydrates are always up and down that's where you talk about manipulating those over weekends sure. or you know during hard and, and light training and uh, depending on the intensity of the training I could go on all day about it, right? But so you don't you don't pay Mike Dolce fifty grand oh, to personalize your diet for you. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> I, I don't. But you know, I actually, I was on the show with Mike Dolce, and uh, man, we had a lot of great conversations. He's really knowledgeable. Cool. I, I think he, he's, you know, he takes a lot of flack for his uh, quote unquote bro science, but the guy really is knowledgeable. And, and like all these things I'm talking about, like I didn't go to fucking college or anything for it. I mean, I just you know, figure it out on my own and, you know, use myself as a guinea pig and I listen to shows, you know, that's, like that's yours. The, that's the best way, though. Exactly. I mean, you know, you can go to college. A lot of people went to those college courses or fat fucks who can just regurgitate what they read in a book. You know, yeah. a, lot, a lot of these people have written strength books, strength training textbooks on the college level. You meet these people in person. It looks like they've never worked out in their life. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not saying the information is not good. I'm just saying they're not following it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I've, I've spoken to probably 20 to 30 nutritionists throughout my career. And you, you hear basically the same regurgitated garbage the whole time. And, right. and it's all 
basically stuff that you could literally just read a textbook and, and hear the same thing. And every now and then you get a good one. I think, uh, probably one of the better ones I spoke to was Mark Philippi, the world's strongest man. His, yeah, yeah, his yeah. wife is, yeah, oh, yeah. Wife, Tracy, Tracy's Tracy, awesome. Yeah. 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 yeah, she's yeah really she, she, she taught me a lot of stuff and, but basically like I worked with her for about a month and I think I paid her a little bit for it and everything. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't see any reason to keep paying her when, I was like, okay, you pretty much gave me all the information I need, and uh, <laughs> maybe that's dirty on my part. But it's I think not, it's most- not dirty. I mean, that's the point, right? Like, so you got what you you got what you needed. You move on. I yeah, when I used to do online <laughs> consulting, which I don't do online clients anymore, but sometimes I would I would train someone for three. I would design programs for someone for three months, and then at the end of the three months, they go. Do I need to sign up again? I go, why? You know what to do now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you wanted me to keep spoon feeding you this stuff so you don't have to think about it, sure, go ahead and sign up for three exactly. months. I'll take your money. But if you feel that you understand this now, how to design a program, how to back off when necessary, how to do microcycles and all that stuff, then by all means, go on your own. I don't pay anybody to design my training programs. I know how to do that shit. You know? yeah, exactly. One of the worst, yeah, so, one of the worst so things you, you can do is pay for something out of guilt. Like, oh, I should have yeah, 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 keep yeah. paying. Like, no, you should never do anything out of guilt. It's one of the worst things in life right there. Do anything out of guilt. It's never going to work <laughs> out well. Okay, because trust me, the person taking your money, they're not feeling guilty. Like, well, shit, if you want to give it to me, I'll take it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah you, you could say that they should feel guilty, right? Exactly. It's like, oh, why do they keep taking your money when they know you don't need them anymore, and they, they continue to do it anyway? Exactly. Yeah. Sure you think you think you think a stri- like a stripper at the Rhino feels guilty every time you hand her twenty bucks? Like, oh, you know, I already gave him five dances. You know, I don't think I should keep taking his money. You know? um, their moral compass might be a little. Different. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't we, we don't we don't go there to discuss to a book of five rings and morality. That's for sure. <laughs> no, Tracy. Tracy's good though, man. She's a really. I'm, I'm good friends with Mark and Tracy. They like they actually live in my neighborhood here in Seven Hills, and mm-hmm. so I, I used to work out at. Last time we talked about that, I used to work out at Mark's place for several oh, I months. I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah. Dale true. Hart was there too, and Frank yeah. Mir, etc. So Tracy and she and I have had many discussions about nutrition. It's a very sharp lady. Yeah, that's great. And okay, so that was a perfect example. Like I, I learned, you know, some things from her, and then uh, okay, now I'll move on. Like some people, I'm sure, need to be spoon fed like that. They need that constant. That's what I was gonna know, bring up, man. Well, then, well, then they're not that's, coming for the information anymore. They're, they're coming, coming for a babysitter, for just, just to talk to exactly. somebody. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, look, you could have, have a beer at home, but people yeah. go to the bar because they want to talk to the bartender. Yeah, so that was that, that's the one thing <laughs> yeah. that you know we we kind of like from the outside looking in when we talk about what Dolce or whatever Mike and I talk about. I so, say, you know, a lot of these fighters are fucking lazy, man. And you know, he's like, just tell me what to eat, man, because I can't stop eating. You know, I like food. You know, even just somebody like Johnny Hendricks, who says like, I love food. Well, hell, like we were just talking about on the last show. He's here in Texas. It's kind of hard not to love food being here. When as soon as you take two steps, you're in a restaurant here. You know, so that's the one thing about it. So you, they just don't have that discipline there. So they have a guy that's kind of like. Hovering over him like the dark overlord of food, like not you shouldn't be eating that. Here you need to eat yeah, this. Yeah, I mean you're you're a professional <laughs> fighter and you don't have discipline. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you have enough discipline to go to training three times a day. You don't exactly. have enough discipline to know what the fuck to eat. No, I man, clean clean eating is not that difficult, man. You know, eat clean food several times a day. Nice balance of protein, fat, carbohydrates, and then like Matt said, you manipulate ratios during depending on what part of your camp you're in. It's almost how, how how people. So I was a personal trainer for a couple of months, and it's almost how people would come just to talk to me for an hour. They, they had nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with training, right? It's sort of the same thing, I think, where the you know these people, um, 
they, they, they might hire someone to do something, you know, for their nutrition. Well, really, they know what they need to do. It's just if they're not told to do it, then well, especially, they especially female clients. I remember I would have female clients because when I did online consulting, I would say, just email me your training journal every Friday. Just let me know how things went and I'll modify accordingly. And a, a lot of women would be like, yeah, I did the workout. And then, you know, afterwards, I got into a fight with my boyfriend and here's what happened. I was like, I didn't ask about all that bullshit. I don't give a fuck about that shit. Okay? That bar, that unless unless it happened during your workout, it is something how affected your workout it had something to do with That's it great. i don't give a fuck when i was a personal trainer i would be getting paid for an hour of listening to that shit yeah so yeah look, man i went it, to school it, for psychology and that's why i didn't pursue the career after school because I, I didn't want to sit there for an hour while someone sat on the couch and whine and complain about things that they just needed just handle your shit just just well, get I, over my it my attitude is don't complain about stuff that you're not willing to do anything about. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Handle complaining your is natural, right? We all complain about stuff, but eventually we do something about it. So just speed up the process. <laughs> you know, Cut down on the complaining, get to the doing, and then you don't have to complain anymore because the problem is solved. But some people, the solution is the problem, meaning that they get your attention because they have a problem now. So let me just keep talking about this bullshit. Now, the problem is, is that I've seen abject suffering when I was five years old in countries like India, Kenya, Uganda. So I've seen the real thing. I've seen some really bad situations. So when someone comes to me and their bad situation is they got into a fight with their boyfriend, I'm not going to take it seriously or pretend yeah. to. Dude, I just read this book the other day called um, Escape from Camp 14. Have you guys ever heard of this? I've heard of that, but I haven't read it. Uh, yeah, that's one of the books that like you'll never feel like anything in your life is worth complaining about again. You know, it's a, it's a kid that he, he was born into a um, what the fuck they call him the the, 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 the concentration camp in North Korea. He was born into it. He's the only person to have ever escaped one. Oh, North Korea, North that, Korea, right? You're talking about North, North Korea. Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the guy so, who ate fucking corn out of shit. Because that was yes. like the only nutrition he could find. Yeah, I, I am familiar with that. Yeah. Yes, it fucking there's there's a there's a uh, documentary on Netflix about it. Camp fourteen. Yeah. But yeah, so it's the same thing. I read that and I was a, uh, I was like, why am I bitching about my air conditioner being a seventy one instead of seventy? <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be a good line to use on someone's like, look, I had a bad day today. Oh, really? Did you have to eat corn out of shit? No, of course not. <laughs> well, then you didn't have a bad day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Victor uh, Victor Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning, that's another really good one where he said that the, the, the guys and the men and women who survived those concentration camps were the one who just looked for a silver lining in anything that happened. Like someone made a good joke and we laughed. You know, it was a good day or today the potatoes were, were cooked well or I had a good game playing chess or uh, we, we put in a good day of work in the uh, – making this craft or something, you know, those, those were the people that ultimately survived it. And then there were people that every day they're like, Oh God, this sucks. And my life sucks. I can't believe we're here. We're never going to make it. Those people didn't make it. So that, uh, that was a really interesting book to me because it was, a, I mean, when he described these situations and what he found a silver lining in, it's hard to imagine people that you meet in your everyday life that would find any silver lining in that. But that's what you have to do, right? You're stuck there. You're not going anywhere. If you're going to be there for three years, how are you going to survive that? If every day you're like, this sucks, and all day long, that's what you're thinking. Yeah, and that's – I mean that's – how do you survive life in general if you're not thinking that way, right? I mean, that's true. Right. That's true. Right. That's the people, are not in that extreme situation. Yeah. When you, when you go meet these people, elderly people that are 90, 95 years old, the only people that live that long are the people that find happiness in their situation. 
Yeah. But how many how many ninety year old miserable people do you meet? <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good exactly. point. You're not going to make. Maybe miserable because they're you know maybe you met them in that time, but they probably lived a very happy life, right? Right, yeah. right. To make it to that point, you have to have a certain level of gratitude. And then you meet people in their twenties that are just bitching about everything, every damn thing. So you're too fucking young to be that cynical. Just shut up. Just just driving. Driving. What's wrong with you? I'm, oh, I'm just tired, dude. You're too damn young to be tired. What are you, what are you, what are you tired of? <laughs> you know, what are you tired of being twenty? You can't wait to be twenty-one. What the hell? You, you know, I laugh at that. Like, what the hell are you tired of? Shut the fuck up. It's like, come on, man. I'm just stressed, man. I'm just stressed. From what? You can't decide which frat party to go to tomorrow night? What the hell? What are you stressing out on? <laughs> so you don't know whether to have Bud Light or a fucking Michelob Light. What the hell, man? <laughs> no, but people, people, that's why so many people from other countries who come to America have a work ethic that people that were born here don't have because they yeah. value the opportunity. They, 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 they grew up in dirt, literally, had no running water, no electricity, nothing, and then somehow they got this lottery ticket of coming <laughs> right. here or some hey, other dude. developed country, hey, and they will fucking do they, – they will drive a cab all day and hey, then clean toilets at night and be happy about it. I have a living example that my father-in-law who came from Egypt with like 10 bucks. You know, it's one of those, those stories that you hear all the time. And here's a dude that pretty much when he first got here, man – Hardly spoke English. I mean, and drove a cab in New York, got robbed one day, you know, got held up in the cab, you know, and for that day, he, when he got home, he packed up, you know, his family and brought them to Texas, came here and had like all these businesses, man, just never took no for an answer. Like, hey, that's, I'm going to, I got an idea and I'm going to, I'm going to jump on this. You know, I'm going to sit here and make, you know, press t-shirts, you know, then from there, I'm going to open up all these booths and like these flea markets because there are a lot of flea markets here in Houston. And then next, you know, he opens up a pizzeria and the pizzeria here is 20 years later, still open. And it's like one of the most popular pizzerias on the side of town, you know, but he had that work ethic. I mean, there's nothing that this guy can't do. If you tell him, oh, that's not a good idea. I don't know if that's going to work. Yes, it will. Let's let's do this. You know, he goes right into it. Whereas here in America, this culture now is like, yeah, you know what? That didn't seem like it's going to work. Well, let's just let's just do something else. You know, just give up automatically without trying to sit there and actually like, I don't know, man. Let's take it apart and see. Well, I mean, those are those are always people that don't want to do anything, though, right? I mean, we can always we can always deduce it to something simple, like you know, if I just had more motivation. It's like, no, (laughs) if you have a goal you actually want to achieve, you don't need any motivation. Nobody fucking cheerleads for me all day long to get my shit done. (laughs) Nobody says, oh, come on, Mike, let's go to the gym. You can deadlift five plates for five reps. Nobody's saying that shit. No no one's saying, Mike, if you just write your ad copy for your T booster today, you're gonna get a lot of sales. Yay! No, you you have. to fucking you have to do what you your father-in-law did man. Exactly. you have to have that that self-motivation and I, I think i think suffering is a good thing and going through the crucible is a good thing because you learn about who you are and what you're capable See. of like there, there's nothing that i don't believe i can do that i want to do Exactly. So people are like, well, you can't thing. be. People are like, well, you can't be an astronaut. I don't want to be, be an astronaut. astronaut. <laughs> That's stupid. So you can't be a UFC fighter. I don't want to be a UFC fighter. If I did, I would be doing what uh, Matt does, I right? I don't. I, obviously, I don't want to do it because I'm not doing those things. I like being. I am, I am doing what I want to do because this is <laughs> yeah. what I want to do. Exactly. So it's it's really as simple as that. Goals are are not as complex as people make them out to be. Success is not complex either. People reading all these fucking books and oh, how to man. be successful. Tomorrow, only people, like, only, look, only people become successful are people writing the books. You know, because you keep buying them. 
<laughs> like Think and Grow Rich made Napoleon Hill pretty fucking rich. He wasn't Even rich in before. Death. And, and that's a good book. So I'm not denigrating that book. But it's easy to read that book and then do nothing with it. It's I mean, like, man, that was a good read. Look, man. Well, let me go back to my shitty-ass job that I hate. <laughs> exactly. so, man, Napoleon Hill is like the Tupac of books, man, of motivational books. This dude's selling more books in death, just like Tupac selling more albums in death. Well, even as much else. as I like Robert <laughs> Greene, as much as I like Robert Greene, he doesn't apply to 48 Laws of no, Power. No, he does not. And we he, know because he, he writes books. He writes books. He doesn't self-publish his books. He writes books for a publishing company who tells him what he can or can't do. Now, if he were following the 48 Laws of Power, he'd fucking write the book himself, publish it himself, sell it. I mean, he's writing the book himself, so of course he's doing that. But he's not self-publishing or distributing. He's not controlling distribution or any of that stuff. So it's, so it's a great book, but he's not following those laws as far as I can see. Not all 48. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's kind of hard to do too, to, 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 to give him some credit. Like when we asked him about that on the show, he's I'm like, you know, what laws do you follow? And he's like, yeah, you know, I follow this and that. What's funny, Matt, is we asked Robert Greene. I go, can you be a good person and follow these 48 laws of power? And he's like, yeah, you know, I think I think you can. It's like you can't be a good person and follow that shit. That, that stuff is so manipulative. About- <laughs> yeah, on, pretend. But it's, it's for the greater good, though, Mike. Come on, it's for the greater <laughs> yeah, well, good. Yeah, that, well, that's how we justify every <laughs> okay, act in this world, man. You know, Saddam Hussein, I'm sure, thought he was doing the greater good by being a so fucking my, tyrant. Sacrifice, sacrifice a few for Hit, the benefit Hitler of many. Thought was, Hitler <laughs> thought he was doing the greater good by making the master race. You know, so that's that's the thing about the human mind, man. We can rationalize anything. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I don't want to cheat on my wife, but I don't want to be rude with this girl who's giving me attention now. That could, I might, I might hurt her feelings. You know, she might have to go to. She might be traumatized. Well, I mean, you know, she might shoot her down. Hey, man, look, man, she kind of got me aroused. I don't want to waste this erection because there are guys out there wish they could have an erection right now. <laughs> this, this may never happen again. You know? This is a blessing, man. Come on. This is something I can tell my grandkids about. You know, Monica Bellucci was. You know, <laughs> no, we can, we can rationalize anything, man. It's pretty scary. You know, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. Well, hey, man, let, let's end with some funny stories because uh, you're a huge music fan, like old three of us are big music fans big metal fans mm-hmm. and you and i were texting back and forth about some funny slayer stories and you know my my funny slayer stories i saw them here in vegas at the house of blues in 2006 when i first moved out here and uh they they played i think it was mandatory suicide and i'm just sitting there kind of bobbing my head like yeah this is cool man i'm at slayer ugliest audience i've ever seen but i'm at slayer this is cool <laughs> and this fucking chick with like 10 teeth comes up to me and she grabs my head and she starts shaking it. You don't know the words. You don't know the words. You know? <laughs> and I was like, oh. I thought she was gonna grab your head and have you motorboat her or something, man. Because I'm like, come on. Well, she kept on pushing up her backside in front of me. That was the other thing. That was kind of uncomfortable. You sure you went at a Jay Z concert, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some Jay Z stories too, but I don't want to keep us on the line forever. But uh, yes, yeah, it's uh, carved into her wrist. <laughs> <laughs> she probably had it uh, carved into her chest. Man. Exactly. I, I don't know if I wanted to see She's one of the original that. groupies, you know. <laughs> no, but I'm looking around the audience, and I'm like, you know, it's a good thing these guys are married because it's slim pickings, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like Jamie Johnston makes fun of his audience, you know, the hate breed audience. He's looking out there. It's like, nah. <laughs> it's like, sorry, Jamie. Hardcore music is not known to attract uh, the five. No, you need to be at a Justin Bieber species. concert, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, you have to be at something at least like a five finger death punch attracts oh, yeah. looking women, Papa Roach, a Godsmack. Yeah. You know, you got to meet women halfway, like Alice in Chains. <laughs> you know, you, you can't. You once you go to Cape Reed, Papa Roach, and you're a pussy anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to a mad ball show to meet chicks. No, I'm going to a mad ball show to fucking jump off the stage and have a blast today. I'm going to, I'm going to go see a pond of burning body tomorrow to tear up that pit and have fun. I'm not going there to check out the scenery. <laughs> but you had a funny Slayer story where you're backstage and it was a lot different than you thought it would be, huh? Yeah, it was very much different. <laughs> so, so it was Tom Mariah's birthday and, uh, you know, I expected, yeah, smoking meth, hailing Satan, fucking, I don't know, whatever, you know, at least some alcohol and shit. And these guys walk off stage, you know, they would shake their hand and stuff. They're all cool guys. And, uh, you know, it, it, they had a fucking birthday cake for Tom Ryan. <laughs> his family's there, his fucking daughter is sitting there saying happy birthday to him. <laughs> uh, oh, they, they, probably, they probably weren't trying to make it metallic either. You know? Oh, God. <laughs> it they weren't they, they singing happy birthday and with uh, screaming vocals. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I mean, I think the the last song they played was Hella Waits. So it went straight from Hella Waits to Happy Birthday. That's <laughs> yeah, like when I was backstage at the Bad Parade show, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to go backstage. And, you know, everyone's smoking a joint. That I expected to see. Then it was like 930 and everybody's leaving. All the guys in the band, Dr. No and Daryl, they're like, yeah, it's 930. You know, time to hit the bed, man. I'm tired today. I was yeah, like, man, oh, shit. That was the same way, like, when Living Color came out here a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. like, as soon as the show was over, man, they ran to the freaking tour bus. I was, and they were going back to the hotel. It was like 10 o'clock. I was like. Fucking old dudes. Come on, seriously, man. <laughs> They're like, nah, man, uh, we got the lead singer, the lead singer of Bad <laughs> yeah, Brains cool. HR. I, yeah. And it's rare that I ask someone to take a picture with. But, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and Bad Brains were like a cornerstone band for the hardcore scene there. So when I met Bad Brains backstage, I was like, this is awesome. And, you know, HR, I've been to his reggae shows. I've been to the Bad Brains shows. So I was like, hey, man, love to get a picture with you. And he looked at me like I asked him if I could bang his wife. <laughs> it was like this like this evil fucking look. And I was like, oh, shit. And then by the time I turned around, he was gone. He just fucking disappeared. And he's a weird motherfucker, yes, though, man. Like one time, one time he took a – he put some pigeons in a cage and he opened it up on a plane. <laughs> you know, one time. He's just, he's just a weird motherfucker, man. He's, and a lot of these guys like, – like on, on a uh, on a – charter plane or a private plane no no this was a commercial airline man a commercial plane I mean, this is yeah. way before 9-11 i don't know how he even got live pigeons on a fucking That's... plane but it was way before 9-11 and i, I like it even more now <laughs> he's just a weird dude and there there's and then you got to catch him on a good night because the night i happened to see them they were badass but they sounded great but i've heard that he's very fickle where sometimes he won't go on stage they're out there and he just won't show up and then, like, someone else has to do the vocals, or he'll just drop the microphone after one song and leave. You know, he's just a weird motherfucker, yes, like the way right. Axl Rose used to be yes. like that. Kind of like Angelo Moore, so, man, from Fishbowl, too. Ever he's met, the same way, man. You know, just has really... either of you guys ever, ever met Phil Anselmo? I've never no. met Phil. I've heard stories about Phil from Harley Flanagan, who's the bassist for the Chromex. You know, he's met him a couple times. Seems like an interesting guy. Have you met him? Yeah, so I met him in Vegas at the House of Blues when okay. he was with Down and uh, Seven Dust opened up for him and mm. got got to go backstage and hung out with him, told him I'm a UFC fighter and I fi figured he'd be kind of impressed, you know, like he's a big boxing fan, big fight <laughs> fan. I don't know, man. Phil's a crazy, crazy motherfucker, man. I never realized how crazy he was. Like, so when I read his lyrics, that's exactly how he speaks. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the structure of his sentences and and. Dude, like his lyrics made more sense after talking to him. <laughs> I swear to God, I, I must have been there for like 20 minutes, and he was 
talking about uh, how MMA fighters need to throw more left hooks for like 20 minutes. Oh, no. And I walked away. I walked away and, um, you know, he was really cool, though, really open and cool and uh, um, seemed like he was more sober than than I met him actually about, I don't know, 10 years earlier when it was still Pantera. And uh, he seemed way more sober this time for sure. But I walked away just feeling like I'd, I just tripped on acid. I mean, <laughs> the way that he made my mind just spin, the way he was talking, like, maybe it was just because it was, you know, Phil, but I don't know, man. It is it, one of those things like it's not really that funny of a story, but if you were there, you you would feel me. Yeah, it's, I think all of us have had enough experiences with musicians to kind of relate to that. Sometimes, Sometimes I think it's a good thing if you never meet a band you're a big fan of. Because if it's a bad experience, you can't listen to their music anymore. Every time you hear it, you're going to think of that. Yeah. Well, so fortunately like, for me, I, the only bad experience I would say I've ever had was actually the same concert where when I met uh, Tom Ryan, they were singing fucking Happy Birthday. <laughs> Every time a, you hear a Slayer song, yeah, you're going to see the bloodlines. You're thinking, yeah, thinking Happy, Happy Birthday. birthday. <laughs> so Dave Mustaine was there also yeah. with uh, Megadeth. And it was Testament, Megadeth, and Slayer. Yeah. And, uh, um, Dave Mustaine is a fucking cockhead, man. I mean, well, I heard uh, HR almost beat his ass one time because <laughs> Dave Mustaine was being a real prick, and HR slammed him up against the wall and was about to beat the fuck out of him. And then John Joseph, singer of the Cro-Mags, just broke it up and and got Dave out of there. So I've heard that from a, yeah. from several people who don't know each other. You like you don't know the Cro-Mags guys and some other people I've talked to. They've all said the same thing though. That Dave Mustaine's a prick. And I've also heard the same thing about James Hetfield and Lars, that yeah, both yeah. of those guys are just dickheads. I don't know if it's true. I haven't met them, so I'm not saying that I'm not saying it's true, but I've just heard that many times. I mean, I, I always give them the benefit of the doubt just because yeah, yeah. yeah, they're in a, that type of situation, especially like Lars and, and James. Them guys are fucking megastars. Dave ain't nearly as popular as he thinks he is. You know, like only <laughs> Only old school hardcore motherfuckers even give a shit about him anyway. That's like, right. Like how many twenty year old kids give a fuck about Dave Mustaine? Everybody looks at Megadeth as a Metallica wannabe, right? No one looks at Megadeth. <laughs> now, that's well, what I, I was. Look, even Megadeth even Metallica. sounds like they're trying to sound like Metallica. The name it's like Metallica, Megadeth. So I always looked at. Even though I like a lot of Metallica, I, I probably like more Megadeth songs than than Metallica collectively because I only like the first three Metallica records. Everything after that, and everything after Master of Puppets, I don't like. But uh, Megadeth, Megadeth did a lot of stuff like – no, I don't like Injustice for All. That was the first album that, that, that bored me. You know, I mean, and I saw them three times on that tour. I was just like, nah, I just can't get into this. But uh, Megadeth, and Megadeth got really good with some of their later albums and, like in the late 90s. And I, I didn't really keep up with them after like, that. Well, like around like Euthanasia or whatever? Yeah, that album yeah. was really good. What's the album with Holy Wars on it? That's uh, I don't know. That might even be the name of the album. Rust in, uh, yeah, Rust in Peace. That that was yeah, Rust in Rust Peace. In yeah, Peace. that was like ninety ninety. Yeah, but uh, and, and once I started getting into the much heavier stuff though, like that's that, uh, that stuff sounds like uh, Duran Duran to me. <laughs> I listen to now, yeah. you know, bands like Nails and Trap Them and some of the stuff I'm listening to right now. Like I was listening to some Slayer the other day. I was listening to South of Heaven. And I was like, this stuff sounds tame, man, compared to fucking Nails. Nails is like one of the heaviest bands out there. 
to to the to yeah. someone who's not really into this kind of music, it'll just sound like pure noise to them. <laughs> right. But but for someone that just understands music and talents, even someone like a band like the Dillinger Escape Plan or Converge, that sounds like chaos when you first hear it. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Especially Converge. You're like, what the fuck is this? This is garbage. Like I could make this today in the garage. And then these guys are really good musicians, and it's very mm-hmm. technical. They're like the Dillinger Escape Plan is those guys are like jazz level musicians. But it just sounds mm-hmm. cha- like chaotic. But I like that. I like that music that's just nuts, especially when I'm doing heavy weight training. I want to hear <clears> chaos, you know? Yeah, it's just like Yeah, I'm, I'm the type of guy, man. I, I like, I like uh, such a diverse amount of music. That, yeah. yeah, that's the same here, man. My wife's looking at me like, my iPod is so interesting to her. She's like, okay, one minute we're listening to Heavy D, and now I'm listening to Lamb of God. What just happened? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, good music is good music, yeah, exactly. no matter what genre it's in that's what that's the only thing that drives me up the fucking wall about metal is they all want to be in these different genres and everybody wants to classify them as deathcore like, hardcore it's like god dude really yeah like <laughs> why can't you should just be good or bad right like <laughs> Well, I mean, Jamie oh. Josta is pretty good at that, right? Where he he doesn't like to be like like Hatebreed started off as a pure hardcore band, their first record, mm-hmm. and now they're basically they're still a hardcore band in terms of his vocals and and the lyrics, right? Because hardcore is all about overcoming adversity and things like that. Yeah. But uh, on a song like uh, Dead Man Breathing, you can really hear the Slayer influence. Yeah, yeah, really metallic influence. It sounds great though. Like I don't see why someone who liked Hatebreed's first record wouldn't like their latest record. Because it's still the same kind of energy, that power, mm-hmm. and that that whole the, the theme of overcoming adversity, improving yourself, fighting your demons, all that stuff has been pervasive all the way through. That's why it's so funny that Dana White referred to that Josta song <laughs> as death metal because kill your family and all that. Even most death metal is not about that. You know, it's just a style of music. It's not necessarily about just killing animals and kids or something like that. And uh, even like you know, someone like you know, not talk shit about Dana, but like. I bet he went and seen the movie Saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right? Right? But God forbid forbid you listen to Cannibal Corpse who's doing the same thing. Just, you know, they're not actually out there doing that shit. Now, if you're out listening to fucking, uh, was it Mayhem or some of them Swedish black metal bands that actually did that shit? Yeah, like the black metal stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which I like some black metal. But, you know, if you're supporting those bands, I forget – which that one band was where they actually took a picture of the dude that was dead, the lead singer. That was their, their album cover. They, they <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, they're burning churches and shit. And, yeah. Yeah. That's, like, not, that's not even not, black metal. That's like, uh, I remember there's a documentary about that. Yeah. It's on yeah. YouTube where that's, they, they had some other, you know, another name for it because black metal, when I think of black metal, I think of bands like Venom. In Venom, in Venom, I look at yeah, Venom is kind of satirical, right? <laughs> we don't expect them. To, we don't expect to take those songs lyrically like it's stuff they're into. That's just their genre. Exactly. Yeah, just yeah. like Cannibal Corpse. Like, like yeah, they're right. not actually out there killing babies and smashing people's right. faces and shit. You know, it's it's like it's like watching a horror movie or going to a you know a haunted house or something. Well, that's why I hate when people say, "Oh, there's so much violence in movies," and I'm like, "You realize that's fake." You know, it's not right. actually happening. You know, in, in Saw, where she where where she cuts her own arm off, she didn't actually do that. You know, that was simulated, man. So I don't care how much violence there is on a TV show or a movie; it's not real. Let's worry about the real violence out there, like what happened in Rwanda. Well, you know, as we're speaking right now, you know, just shut up a movie theater in Lafayette right now as we're recording this show. I'm seeing this pop up, so let's talk about that. You know, don't worry about a freaking movie, okay? And well, the problem is, is you got these you got these moronic arguments of. 
simulated violence encourages real violence. Exactly. Like, really? And it's like, okay, well, what did people do in the Middle Ages when entertainment didn't exist? <laughs> but, you know, like, it was, everything right. was so peaceful back then. Exactly. A pre- prehistoric man was peaceful. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, uh, hey, you know, let's just let's go ahead and put these, you know, these gladiators out here with these lions. <laughs> let's just see who let's see who comes out, let's see who comes out on top. <laughs> okay. Oh. Well, that's why I laugh when people compare this. Some idiots compare the UFC to that. They're like, "Oh, this is like the gladiatorial games." It's, it's, hum- hu- it's human cockfighting. Not, 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 not quite. The gladiators <laughs> were slaves who didn't have a choice on whether they fought or not. They had to. Exactly. And it's like, it's like go watch the first season of Spartacus, man. All right? well, that's why I laugh like it's, it's human cockfighting. I'm like, you know, those chickens didn't have a choice, man. Yeah, yeah, and they exactly. weren't fighting for a prize for a prize money at the end of that, <laughs> you know, like, like don't even dog give me fighting that. UFC. Yeah, dog fight. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, no, it's, like, no, it's not the same. Not thing. the same. <laughs> no, no. See, I'm the opposite. I just go ahead and, and embrace it. They and people call it human cockfighting. I'm like, fuck yeah, I love that shit. Dude. <laughs> I wish we they, did have human. Take cock the power away from them right there. <laughs> what are they gonna say after they're like, what? Well, well, my my friend Dale Hart said, look, man, if if there were an option. For some of the guys in the UFC to go fight with swords and shields in an arena, they would do it. Yeah, like Dale's like you know, a lot yeah. of guys would be like, "Fuck yeah, let's do that shit." <laughs> and some yeah. dudes, and some dudes like, you know what? If that meant not going back to the hood and worry about getting shot every night, okay, give me a sword. <laughs> you know, I got better odds <laughs> that way. <laughs> you know, shit, man. <laughs> that's what, I, I, to be honest, that's even how I describe it when people that never heard of the UFC they say, "What do you do?" They say, they say, what's the UFC? Well, it's basically just human cockfighting. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I'm like, whatever. I'll embrace that shit. We, we should just start, we should start describing our training like that. It's like, yeah. what kind of workouts do you guys do? It's like, well, it's basically all. Oh, it's it's about fucking yourself up. You know, it's, a, <laughs> see, it's like I do. I don't. I don't stop deadlifting until my back breaks in half. You know, then I know it's time to take a break. Like my spine is popping out and I'm looking like a Stegosaurus, man. They're like, well, it's like it's not it's not a squat until you blow a knee out. Right? You know? It's not a squat until you shit on yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> you start getting all graphic, and you gotta make sure there's some corn in it so you can have your post training meal. <laughs> you're not wearing diapers when you squat. You're not squatting heavy enough, all right? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it wrong. It's like we could create our own genre of like extreme shit training. Squat, shit squat, baby. You know, it's it's like what we do makes CrossFit look like fucking tennis. All right. <laughs> oh, final thing, I'm man. The, we'll let I'm you the go. Man what, what, all right, all right. what What is your opinion about the the whole Reebok thing? Are, are you yeah, happy yeah, with it? Or do you have any Do you have any strong opinions about the whole Reebok deal? Um, no. I mean, look, I I can only speak for myself. I mean. I'm in as good of a situation before as I am after. Um, the way the UFC does business is their business, and I, I'm not obligated to sign a contract with them. So right. um, I choose to sign that contract, and when I choose to sign that contract, I'm at their mercy. Um, yeah. Now, I can tell you if I were in their position, Dana White's position, I feel like I would do things differently, but that's not my, I'm not in that position. They have higher minded business people than me. So I have no reason to sit here and, and doubt or question what they're doing. Um, beyond that, like I said, I, I, I may, I may feel completely different if I was like some of these other people like uh, Misha Tay or I, I don't know, uh, you know, some of the other people that have lost a lot of money with the deal. 
Brendan Schaub, maybe. Or, yeah, that's what I was going to bring um, up by, like Stitch, you know, Stitch Duran, you know, yeah. one of the most well-known cut men in the UFC recently got fired because of some, some comments that he made regarding the yeah. Reebok deal. And, I mean, these guys pretty much, the, you know, pretty much with the Reebok deal, the cut men were not a part of the deal. So they're not getting any of the money from Reebok in this deal like the fighters yeah. are. So basically, but the thing is they can't wear any of the sponsors on their vest other than Reebok. So now these guys have lost their money and they're doing this full time. And so he just kind of spoke out, you know, about that and not nothing too harsh. But again, the higher ups, they end up firing him over this. And so here's the thing, man. I mean, I'm just asking you how you feel about that. When you got guys like Stitch, because let's just let's just be real. This guy, these guys work miracles when it comes to like fixing these cuts in between these rounds, man. I mean, you look at the Rory and Robbie fight. It could have been a lot worse. It could have looked a lot worse. But these guys pretty much. A lot of these fighters feel much better having these guys in their corner. So now they're being put in this position where they're not getting paid anymore, you know, from their sponsors, and they have to, you know, take on this Reebok deal without getting paid. You know, they're, a lot of these guys are talking about they're just going to leave and go to other organizations, Bellator, or may go back to boxing. Now you got, you got the C team of cut men trying to come in now, you know, to come in and, you know, like, be in the corner for you guys. You know, kind of, I, I feel like that kind of puts the fighters kind of like in a, I don't know, man, an iffy situation, you know, putting your your livelihood in the hands of these yeah. amateurs who are coming along because, you know, these wrestlers stop a fight in a heartbeat if they seem like, oh, it's too much blah, blah, blah. you got to stop the fight. You know, a lot of these guys like Stitch, they can make it, you know, give you a chance to go one more round before it may be some stoppage or whatever. So I don't know, man, I don't know how you feel about that when these guys may not be there now. Well, I don't know the entire details of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really read up on it too much. I, I know the basics that stitch got fired about speaking out and um i can't help but think that there's probably more to it than than just maybe i don't know did he make a tweet or just said something yeah, you know an interview with bloody elbow i think that's where it came from so yeah I, I feel like there's probably more to it than that yeah um and okay if there's not then you know it is what it is um the 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 way that I see it is, look, if I, if I am working at Burger King and I go around saying Burger King's fucking me, Burger King's probably going to fire me. <laughs> so I, I feel I, I'm not saying that I don't like I said, I don't know the entirety of the situation. So um, I can only look at it objectively like that. Right. Like like it, you can't really speak out against your employer publicly. Um but I don't know if he said things harsh enough to to deserve what he got or not, because I, like I said, I haven't really researched the situation like that because it's not really my concern. I mean, um, you know, I'm in this shit for myself. Um, you know, it is an individual sport and I'm looking to be a, a champion, whether Stitch is there or not. And I really like the guy. So, you know, I hope nothing I'm saying is taking the wrong way or anything, because I really like the guy. I think he's a great guys wrapped my hands before um you know and he did a real good job and everything unfortunately i haven't been cut too bad in fights so i haven't had to deal with that but um outside of that i mean like i said the deal's been good for me so i can't really comment too much further on that i mean he's i I hope the best for him like i said he's a great guy i hope the best for him and um i i uh, i hope that the ufc made a good decision and they were right in the decision i hope it wasn't um, some you know an emotional decision or anything like that. Right, right. Oh. 
That's a pretty fucking politically correct answer, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you can only speak on what you know, and there's so many things that you don't yeah, know you don't about know regarding the situation. Yeah, yeah. And I, you'd be a jackass to go out on there like, oh, that's fucked up. Well, what was fucked up about it? Well, it just sounds yeah, like it was. Like, <laughs> some, some people just want to bitch about their employer just for the sake of bitching. So, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, if you if it's not genuine, then there's no need to bitch, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I really, if, if I want to have a... Um, intelligent opinion about it or if I want to speak up uh, about something I have to go research it and right. I have to know the, the entirety of the situation I see people that you know b- make these tweets or, or say things publicly immediately after hearing something they don't have any idea what really happened and right. um, I'm assuming that there's more to the situation than what I know and and I base that on on the fact that um, you know, stitches the first cut man for for this to happen to. So right. it's it's never happened in the previous well, twenty plus years of the UFC. So why would I assume that that just one guy all of a sudden got fired for for nothing? There it is. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, there may be more. There may be more to it. We'll there see. We'll see, and we'll see you if know, someone like Ariel Ariel Hawani, I'm sure, will have him on his show at some point yeah. and and get down to it. You know? <laughs> The nose, nose, you know, man. <laughs> whether whether it is is more or not, like I said, the 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 main thing for me is I, I don't create a. It's, it's like these people that, that vote for president without knowing who the fuck the person exactly. is. You know, the most irresponsible like, thing I, ever I, to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not going to sit there and 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 speak a, about something that I just don't know that much about. Right. And what I do know is is so far the Reebok thing has been good for me. I can only speak on my own personal situation and everything's been good for me. Um, and when I say that I would do things different in, in, uh, the, the maybe Dana's position or whoever is dealing with Reebok, the really the only thing I would really do any different. Um, of course I'd always like to see more money, but the only thing I'd really do different is more individuality for the fighters. Yeah. And I think that, I think that may come with time. I mean, they, they, they're trying to help out or they're trying to outfit 500 or so fighters. So it's a lot easier to just make a base and then go from there. And I, I would like to see more individuality. I, I like, well, right uh, now it looks like the outfits were made by someone who's a big fan of Star Trek: The Next Generation. To my, to my, to my and, and zebras, you know, you know that's why uh-huh. I said they look like grown-up garanimals right now. So hopefully, I'm like you, man. I hope they start like, like did, did Patrick. Did Patrick Stewart make that? Yeah, it's, it's funny, man. You know, I've, I've heard, you, you go on Twitter, or whatever. You just see so much negative shit about the Reebok thing, man. Yeah. But I mean. Dude, like, I don't mind the shit, man. I think it looks good, personally. You know, the thing about Twitter is they could be paying fighters a million bucks a fight, and then people on Twitter would be like, oh, fuck those fighters. They sold out. They're taking exactly. that Reebok They're going to always have something to say on Twitter, man. Right. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of have a similar philosophy that you have when it comes to other people's opinions of mine, you know, of me. I was like, I don't – you guys don't pay my bills. Exactly. You know, like, if, if I can't make – if I can't make my payments this month, then you guys on Twitter aren't going to come help me. Exactly. You know, so what you think about what I'm doing, I don't really give a fuck about that because it doesn't have anything to do with me. You know, it's like I, I have to decide what the best course is for exactly. me. I cannot pay my bills with your opinions. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, right. okay. it's not like every time someone tweets something and I'm and I'm looked into it, and I, I get compensated for that. Exactly. Every time you tweet, my American Express gets paid. Like I get more points. Like, Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, in the, in the position. Position that I'm in, I'm you know only a few fights away from the title. You know I'm I'm in a, a good position and and I, I want to continue my career. I started this shit 
I don't know, 10 plus years ago with one goal in mind, and that's to be a world champion in the UFC. I'm not going to start changing my goal because I'm not making enough money. Like, I'm not going to start just focusing on just making money or, or, you know, start worrying about the shit. Like, my goal has stayed the same. I'm still on the same path that I've always been on. And if I'm broke and I'm, but I'm a world champion, then I'm a happy motherfucker. Yeah, you're not into this. You're not in this to be a celebrity or exactly or for notoriety or to become a millionaire or anything like that. You're a pure fighter. I think that's what people like about your style so much is that, like our friend uh, Ken Blackburn refers to you as a a real life Chuck Norris. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of that's a pretty good. uh, That's a pretty good analogy. He's not the first person to say that, but I never (laughs) take that. Uh, no, it's a compliment. They're not. They're not talking about Texas Walker Ranger. Chuck <laughs> yeah, Norris. They're talking about Chuck Norris in movies like The Octagon and stuff like that. Delta Force. You know, so that's that's. A, that's I always laugh about Chuck Norris because there's some movie where like he's working out in the gym and he's got like fucking 400 pounds in the bar and he's banging out reps on the incline. And I remember when I was a kid and I saw that I was like, wow, I didn't realize Chuck Norris was that strong. <laughs> and then when I did a photo shoot for uh, for Kettlebells for Iron Man magazine, the guy showed me all the prop weights. <laughs> I was like, yeah, these 45 pound plates that weighed five pounds. I was like, oh, this is. Great. I should put like six on each side and, and like bang out 20 reps in the bench press, like do like 30 deadlifts. So I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, who would you like to fight next? Uh, I think Rory McDonald would be a great opponent for your next yeah, fight. Yeah, I think, I think he's going to be out for a while, though. Oh, would, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. I would I would have to guess he's probably going to be out for a while. Uh, he looked like he probably suffered a good concussion there. Um, Maybe uh, Carlos Condit's always a good one. That well, would be Carlos is fighting fight. in December. Um um, they just announced that Lawler. Yeah, yeah, even Lawler yeah. fighting for the belt uh, in December. Really? Okay. Yeah, and then Tyron Woodley is fighting. Oh hell, who the hell? Who the hell? Oh, Johnny Johnny, Johnny Hendricks yeah. in December. Oh, yeah, interesting. They just, yeah, they just announced that one. Those are yeah, so those that, are those so are good matchups. Leaves, yeah. That leaves me. I actually have my next fight. Um, I can't announce it yet, but okay. it's. Um, I guess you. I would say a surprise opponent. You would never think that um, this would be my next opponent. Um, so yeah, I, I got it uh, booked already. Pretty much, uh, I talked. That's when I was talking to Dana last night on the phone. Uh, he called me, and uh, we got it hooked up. So he's like, uh, "We've got Vitor Belfort is dropping to Walter Wade." <laughs> 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 he, didn't, he didn't like your anti-steroid comments. <laughs> I'd be, I would be perfectly cool with that personally. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he. Well, I don't know. He he may be able to make one seventy. He may be able. Well, to after he gets off everything. Well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I mean. That's I was what I mean. about to say. Well, he gets off everything. That shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> he didn't look much bigger than one seventy at his yeah. last fight, so he may be able to get to one seventy. He might. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we don't want to keep you on all night. But hey, man, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate Great talking that. to you again. It's cool having you back and. Look forward to seeing your next fight. And also, people can listen to you on the the great MMA. Is that the, yeah, the great, great MMA debate? Great. Yeah, you can get you, you can get that on iTunes. That that's a cool show. If you're a big MMA fan, you'll or if you like what you heard from Matt on our show, that's what you're going to get on hit on that show as well. So check it out. Yep. Yep. So appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It was a good time. Uh, always, we'll do it again sometime. Cool, Sounds man. great. Appreciate it. You have a good right. night, man. You take care. All right. Thanks, guys. Later. Take care. All right, that's let me remove from group. That's our friend Matt Brown. Great having him back. It's it's always cool when we have a guest back the second time, right? Because yeah. the first time it's more of a feeling it's, out process. It's kind of like that first date. It's kind of like let me. I don't know yeah. if this dude's a stalker. <laughs> you know, he's a convicted rapist. You know, it's kind of like that the, first the, date. No, the first time we had him, I remember 
it was, there wasn't like any uncomfortable moment moment at all on the show, but it, it just took a little while to get yeah, warmed it's up. It was that then, stiff fifteen minutes. That first fifteen right, minutes, kind of like, okay, right. what are these dudes about? Once <laughs> we started talking about like uh, disdain for some for some chiropractors, <laughs> not all chiropractors, people don't take me out of context. Exactly. Some that we've had bad experiences with. That was the turning point. <laughs> right. you know, every every episode with the guest that who doesn't know us, who we've never met in person. They don't know anything about us. They've never heard of us before we actually asked them to be on the show. It's always a little bit of a feeling out process, and then there's a turning point, and then that's where it gets really fun. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it was cool to get them back. The second time around, it's like, hey, you know, we're, fr- we're friendly. We know each other. Let's just come right out of the gates with a good conversation. So all you podcast people out there, if you're thinking about doing a show, you know, keep that in mind. Don't get out your Larry King pad oh, book and 30 <laughs> questions that you – some people are like, you know, I'm going to put together a script and then I'm not going to deviate. It's like, well, guess what? That's going to be boring that. ass. That's going to be – those are the kind of shows that Matt – those shows that Matt was making fun of, that, that, that's what happens when you do that kind of strategy exactly. where it's some boring ass motherfucker where he's just like, why the hell am I doing this? And we've all had that experience where we, we've been on someone's show and we're like, why am I doing this, man? Exactly, man. This is not going to do anything for me. This person <laughs> is asking me the same 10 questions they asked the last 10 guests. They, they, didn't, they didn't even like go to my website and see what I'm all about. It's like at least do a little bit of fucking research. Exactly. Man. Other than, hey, so you do a show with Sincere, right? You're a mic of a podcast, right? You lift kettlebells, right? It's like, yeah, I'm, I've been known to do that. Yeah, I've been known to knock a coach out like Puffy with him every now and then too. Like, what? Okay, so you didn't do the research. <laughs> hey, next time someone's like that, they're like, "Yeah, so uh, you're you're a kettlebell guy, right?" It's like, "Well, I I I hang kettlebells off my Johnson, so I guess that makes me a kettlebell guy." <laughs> it's like, "How did you get into this whole kettlebell thing?" It's like, "Well, hey, you know, first of all, I used it first to develop testicular fortitude, and then from there, I realized there's other benefits." You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Think of like, "Oh, okay, yeah, read." Go to my website next time, sucker. <laughs> All right, folks. So that's going to wrap it up. Hey, you already know what to do. Go to our, both our websites, newwarriortrain.com, mikemoller.com. Use the coupon code LLA, 10% off all of our products. That goes toward supporting the show and supporting our business and making sure that we continue to bring great guests like Matt Brown on this show. Another way you can do that, go over to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Become a monthly supporter of the show. Go into that little box right there. You see a one, put a zero behind it, or a few of them. I say it a million times. Well, you can put a million zeros. I don't care. Just make sure your bank account is good. Or you can go ahead and wipe that out and put in five and just support with $5 a month. That's all it takes, man. And the third choice, go on iTunes, Stitcher, leave a review, rate us, share the episode, let the world know about us, get on social media, retweet, tweet, talk about your favorite episodes, talk about this episode with Matt. Make sure that you tag him, okay? Make sure that you tag him when you sit there and tweet about this. All right? So there you go. You got three choices. Pick one. And the fourth choice, yeah, get your head out of your ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, if, you're wonder, if you're wondering why we sound so hostile, we have a right to sound hostile. Yeah, right People are being hostile. persecuted. <laughs> Uh, we should man. start using like Professor Griff lines. Yo, I ain't no milk toast. <laughs> you know? They're like who? Public just like out of just, just like out of nowhere. Just exactly. like just drop public enemy, public enemy line. Oh man! Like, I don't know about that, but I do know that Farrakhan's a prophet that you are listening to. You know? <laughs> don't look at me, Judge. I ain't did nothing, nobody. <laughs> man, by the time I get to Arizona, man, woo! <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Just like, it's like, you want to know what's going on? It takes the nation a million to hold this back. That's what's going on. <laughs> oh man! 
Woo. All right, people. All right. Let's go wrap it up for this week. See you guys next time around. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye.